G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 22 Preview Edition, the Richie Benno episode. Uh, the AFL season still in a state of flux as we record this. We actually don't have officially confirmed games for any day, any game. Um, so we're, uh, we, we have a pretty decent idea what the fixture is going to be. So we are working on that basis. But these are bizarre times in this country, as we've been saying now for about a year and a half. Hope it ends one day. Everyone get out there and get your shots. It's the best way uh, to end this as soon as possible. Uh, as I say, a very good morning to my co-host, Mark Fine. How's your week been, Finey? Yeah, good. And I... Yeah, I think let's just take the opportunity to hammer home that message until, and there are figures. So I saw them last night. We need to get to 80% really to start living a more normal life. And quite honestly, at 80%, with everybody given the opportunity to get their vaccination, um, Whatever happens to the other 20%, let it happen to them. If we cull idiots who, and I qualify this by saying, if you've had the opportunity to get the vaccination, if you have rejected that concept, it is selfish and you are playing, you're playing craps with the devil, people. I'm telling you, craps with the devil. Yep, no, well spoken. Uh, There's been a fair bit of idiocy around this week and we'll touch on that very shortly. This uh, podcast always proudly brought to you by Palmer Bet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remembering, of course, to gamble responsibly. And uh, I'll tell you who else are responsible finding in their preparation, in their service, in their prices, in everything, is another wonderful sponsor of ours. They're yeah, responsible for sating my appetite oh, with the best burgers in town. And Andrew's hamburger, oh, I'm going to tell you a little fact here. It's called fast food because it's you go there, you order, it comes to you quickly. I'll tell you what, it'll tick off on a lot of those sort of uh, slow food ideals in terms of quality of food, preparation, pre-preparation don't think of it as cookie cutter crap it is really a decent feed as well fresh veggies 100% beef fresh buns there's nothing there you wouldn't eat in a healthy meal you might sideswipe that you know you might sidestep the chips but that's only self-control because they're beautiful and uh, you might get a water instead of a, a soft drink but don't worry, it's a good, healthy feed. It really is. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Eat well and eat healthy. 
Where would you get a healthy home renovation, do you think, Fine? Okay, here's something interesting. West Point Properties, they work in the inner southeast suburbs of Melbourne. Now, I spoke to the principal there, Nick Spartels, this week. And because of lockdown, uh, they have to certainly be careful about their operations. There's only because of uh, social distancing, X number of workers you can have on the site. But they are going hammer and tong. Don't worry about that. And we know that there's been a great demand on properties. So the prices are going up. A great opportunity if you are in that area to maximise your investment or your family home that might have been passed down to you. Into southeastern Melbourne suburbs, around the area of South Melbourne, Port Melbourne, Albert Park, Middle Park, stretching to St Kilda, uh, into uh, the Bayside suburbs of Brighton. Give them a call, West Point Properties. Well, I'll tell you where you'll find some healthy statistics, and that is at Stats Insider, a sports and data-driven industry leader providing model projections and analysis for more than 15 sports across the world. That includes this season's English Premier League, which kicks off this weekend. Can you believe it? Do their seasons ever stop? And where Stats Insider will be providing projections for all 760 games and who are currently assessing your team, Finey, West Ham United, as having a 9.3% chance of finishing in the top four. Stats Insider simulates an event 10,000 times to best understand both the range of possible outcomes and the probability of each result. Along with their famed pre-match and in-game projections, Stats Insider is also known for their full season projections, which still have the Cats as premiership favourites despite last week's loss to GWS. Stats Insider is also home to some of Australia's best independent sports writing and analysis. Everything is free to use on site. So check them out at statsinsider.com.au and give them a follow on Twitter at Stats Insider. Okay, we have got a lot to get through. Let's crack on down into it. On Footyology, Newsfeed. All right, well, there's no escaping this and I sort of had an inkling it would happen. Taylor Walker's suspension for those racist comments about North Adelaide player Robbie Young. Six games, the penalty for Walker fined has to do uh, education training in in that uh, space. Uh, But the fallout, in a way, I think has been far more revealing than the incident itself. And it's been pretty depressing. Let's be perfectly honest. Um, I think we've all seen some of the sorts of comments that are still being made in the wake of this. Uh, An incredibly emotional uh, appearance by Carlton champion Eddie Betts on AFL 360. Uh, He was moved to tears by um, just continuing to bang his head against a brick wall and the entire Indigenous playing community. They just keep pleading with people just to be decent people. And it seems it seems too hard for a lot of people. Obviously, the added sting this time is that uh, these comments haven't been delivered by a spectator or someone outside the bubble, but uh, from one of Bet's former great teammates, no less. So uh, a really sobering time. I think the AFL's really got to think again about how it approaches this whole stuff. Um, I think Taylor Walker's video... A lot of cynicism about that, and I think rightly so. It was sort of all about him, really. Um, 
uh, Robbie Young in the video consoling him with a, a pat on the shoulder because Tex is getting a bit upset. Uh, and really the perpetrator, in, in a sense, becoming a victim. Now, finding I had a, a very good insight to that. Angela Pippos has written a wonderful piece of footyology, which everyone needs to read, about she's actually an official Adelaide Football Club ambassador. And uh, she was lauding um, the official who basically reported Walker's comments to the club. Uh, understandably, has uh, in this in, uh, given what's followed, has uh, remained anonymous. But uh, she was saying, "This is what we need more of. People have got to call this out." That's what Betts was pleading for. But the comments under Angela Pippos's story on my Facebook feed, check it out yourself if you want to see it with your own eyes. We're up to over 700 comments now and at least half of them, they either don't get it or they're just blatantly racist. Uh, some of them quite creepy. Some of them equating it to, you know, insults being directed at Anglo-Saxon people. All the same old stuff from people who don't get it, don't want to get it, don't want to try and be educated about the extent of the hurt it causes and uh, it's quite upsetting to read because it makes you think we are, we are a racist country. We are a racist country. And until Australia learns to accept that, we're never going to be anything less. But people are so petrified to make that even that concession. Uh, I don't see how we're going to learn from it. Oh, look, there's so much I could say here. So much has happened. Um, how have you seen the last few days on this score, Farney? Yeah, again... Uh... I can understand the frustration of not just Indigenous Australians, those Australians who want to live in a country that is better, that we're, we're better than this. We really are in terms of an ability to change, an ability to be educated. We are better than the rate that this is happening at. And if we're not, we have to be made to be better. Racism is not a, uh, somebody with any, any of us with, with any racist um, uh, sort of uh, underlying sentiments within us are capable of change. Uh, how? Through education. And racism is a glaring, glaring example of ignorance, Rowan. That's all I want to say. It is utter ignorance. So for any person that has ever said, all Indians are this, you know, there's over a billion Indian Indians, that all Aboriginals are this, and they're not using those terms, of course. They'll, they'll be derogatory terms. All Asians, all Jews, all gays. It's ignorance. So don't we want to be as individuals and country more educated? That's where we need to be. And unfortunately, uh, the change is slow, but we need to be a smarter nation. And the only way we do that is individually being smarter, Rowan. Well, people like I myself say, when people talk about education, what do they mean? Well, what it means is reading the stories of people like Eddie Betts, read about how his grandfather at the age of 49 died in a prison cell because he was turned away from the doctor. Um, you know, the, the sort of treatment 
that the Indigenous communities have put up with, the stereotyping that goes on. Uh, I, I think uh, you need to learn from the fact that a player like Walker has been privy to more um, education, more uh, mixing day, on a day-to-day level with Indigenous people through his workplace for years and years and years, and yet still instinctively will produce a term like that. It's in the attitudes of people of our generation fighting. Now, Dermot Burton, uh, look, we, we both like Dermy, we respect him, um, but, you know, he, a comment of his, an offhand comment of his about this situation on Fox Footy the other night, um, he was talking about Walker and he said, I, I, I think Walker would have showed the most contrition here. He said, I don't think Taylor Walker has any racism in him whatsoever. He got it horribly, horribly wrong. Well, I'm sorry, but if you are capable of saying something like that, you do have racism in you. Now, it's not, you know, like, it doesn't mean it's a hanging offence, but he has to learn from that. He has to concede, yes, I do have racism in me. I think we all do, working within us. It's whether you, whether you learn to keep that at bay, whether, whether you learn to not think and say those things reflexively because you take on the examples of the people and the impact it has on them. And people like like Dermot live in this bubble, right, and they refuse to get out of it. And their knee-jerk response is always the feelings of the person who offended and has been piled on rather than the subject of the person who's being abused. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, If you come out with a racial slur, it's not a burp. A burp's an involuntary action. It's a thought, and it's a thought. It's it's a word that that speaks to how your mind, how 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 you think, how how you how you tick, how you operate. Look, we we can go on about this, but we don't. We can't stand on the pulpit here and and preach as though as though. First of all, we are without. I, I can't do that. Um. I don't consider myself racist, but have I have I used have I first of all been on a journey on my life? Yes. Is that journey over? No. That's I, I'd say that. And the best way to understand and attack your own feelings that might be deep seated, not unintentional, but 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 um, beneath the surface that might surface in a moment of anger etc frustration with somebody different to you is that racism is a base emotion rowan and it lives with other base emotions jealousy um uh, uh, that that sort of contempt so learn about other cultures but learn about them and and Immerse yourself in the positive aspects of other cultures. Don't look at um, uh, at uh, people who work jobs that are um, you consider menial. Don't look at, at new immigrants, for example, with anything other than admiration and try and learn about their journey and how hard it was for them to come here. African Australians, uh, subcontinental Australians. Don't Try and rid yourself of jealousy and contempt because they are base emotions. And look at an Indigenous person's journey and marvel at their 
um, survival through what they've been through and, and their brotherhood and their closeness. Love those things and then you'll love the people. All right, no, well spoken. Uh, we've got to wrap this up. A uh, final word on this. Uh, everyone needs to watch that Eddie Betts interview on Fox Footy and see the depth of that emotion and the degree of hurt. And uh, it explains a bit. If you watch that and uh, are not moved by it and still think the same way you did before, uh, you are not just insensitive, you're an asshole. All right. Let's move on. So uh, some big stories going on. Uh, another big night at the tribunal where we saw three players challenge their uh, suspensions. Toby Green, uh, Essendon's Mason Redman and Fremantle's Andrew Brayshaw. The upshot, Tony Gr- Toby Green had his two-game penalty reduced to one. Mason Redman had his one-game suspension reduced to a fine. Andrew Brayshaw not so lucky and he will miss this week's derby between the Dockers and the Eagles. Uh, what do you make of the three cases, finally, in a nutshell? Well, I, I, I cannot... I am so frustrated about the Toby Green reduction. There is such a, a groundswell when players, especially good players, get suspended to then get them off. Patrick Dangerfield speaks on his behalf. The whole... The whole world speaks on his behalf. And, and all of a sudden, the tribunal becomes incapable of looking at things beyond that particular incident. I am telling you what he did is dangerous. What he did was more than self-preservation. And what he did goes to a pattern of how Toby Green plays footy. Now, Toby Green's brilliant. But there's one thing about Toby Green, and that is when he has the ball or is going for the ball, his mode of self-protection is not part of AFL football. And I don't mean AFL football, I mean Australian rules. And it is dangerous. It needs to be wiped out. He, he, he has had to temper how he marks the ball because for much of his career, he uses a karate kick. And then when he has the ball in his hand, he uses a raised elbow and forearm. And we're a and we're excusing it as a football act and cutting the penalty in half. That is nuts, Rowan. I'm telling you, he, he needs to wipe that out of his game. Get the ball, brace yourself with your hip and shoulder. That's how to play. Raise the elbow, get rubbed out, mate. As for Redmond, very quickly, ridiculous report in the first place. You can expand on what that looks like compared to other incidents in the game. And Braveshaw has to wear his. Well, uh, yeah, I, I agree on Brayshaw. I think I agree with you on Green. The, the Redmond one, I certainly got to be in my bonnet about that, mainly because it should never have arrived at that juncture where he had to be thrown to the ground. This was the second free kick that Marcus Bonapelli got in a short space of time that game, and in both instances, being absolutely nailed with a clear prior opportunity, the ball... Um, being basically just dropped because of the effectiveness of the tackle and neither called, uh, well, sorry, a free kick to Bont called in both cases, the first from which he goaled, the second which resulted in Redmond being reported. Now, we're seeing, a, I, think, I think we're seeing a massive overreaction on the dangerous tackle situation. We saw a ridiculous free paid against Nick Natanui in Monday night's game for West Coast against Melbourne for a similar thing. Half the reason this is happening we're getting 
what are being labelled very quickly dangerous tackles is because umpires won't pay holding the ball. I've never seen it get this bad where players will be nailed in a tackle, wrapped up, swung around, almost a full revolution, and the umpire will continue to call play on. It's not play on. It's holding the ball. You have a prior opportunity. You're nailed legit- in a legitimate tackle. You don't dispose of it immediately. It's holding the ball. But they just continue to let it go. And the tackling player thinks, well, I've got to keep the tackle going. By this stage, the momentum is usually forcing them to the ground, where, of course, players are going to hit their heads. The Redmond one, um, there was no slinging motion. His head hit the ground because of the weight of gravity. It wasn't like Redmond put any force into it. And it only happened, this is my biggest point, it only happened because the correct free kick had failed to be paid. Someone produced evidence, I won't even name the player involved, but there was another tackle in the same game, exactly the same, which wasn't cited. I mean, this is ridiculous. Like, you cannot be responsible for a player you tackle his head landing gently on the ground. You can't do it. It's physically impossible, but we wouldn't even have half that situation if umpires were prepared to pay holding the ball, and they should. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why they're letting the player with the ball have so much opportunity to get rid of it. But it, they, you know, we would eliminate the dangerous tackle stuff if they paid holding the ball. Quickly, your thoughts on that? We agreed. But at least, at least Bond and Pelly, when he got tackled, didn't think it was right to elbow Redman in the head. Yeah, well, they're two contentious areas. Uh, I guess, you know, we could, we could uh, possibly have this conversation every week, but uh, we'll just keep arriving at the same, same conclusions and end up repeating ourselves. So let's move on. Some big contract news. Uh, Josh Kelly of GWS will be a GWS player for life, as they say. Well, until at least until he retires. Uh, a massive deal, though. Eight years. That is the longest contract signed in football since Buddy Franklin went from Hawthorne to Sydney on a nine-year deal for the 2014 season. Eight years at a reported $8 million. So about a million smackeroonies a year uh, resisting overtures from North Melbourne, where his father, Phil, played, of course. And uh, that was the only choice, we're told. And in the end, Kelly went with the club. He has played his entire career. So uh, great for GWS, uh, great for Kelly. Uh, probably great for the game too, if we're serious about making GWS uh, an ongoing and perhaps one day very popular club because you need those franchise players, quote, unquote. He is certainly one of them. And uh, it is a massive, massive deal. Fanny, your reaction to that? Meatloaf, two out of three ain't bad. Great for Kelly. Great for the game that he stayed at GWS. Not great for the Giants. Why would you sign somebody to eight years when you've seen these things backfire? And, I mean, they just... he will, it, It's just not practical to sign a player. How old's Kelly? 24? I think thereabouts, 24, 25. It's not practical to sign a player for eight years. Kelly's already had injury problems. It is impractical 
and it will leave them at some point during that contract holding on to a player that is not worth that. Well, it's not the money that is not necessarily worthy of a spot on the list. Most likely. He may play out eight great seasons, but I haven't seen it, Rowan. I haven't close to seen it. Uh, yeah, well, certainly mirrored in what you're saying, but uh, basically North were um, prepared to uh, pull out all stops to get him, and that's what it takes. It's the, the power of the market. Uh, let's finish off the news segment with uh, a very important retirement announcement. Uh, Mark Murphy, uh, Carlton stalwart, two-time best and fairest winner, All-Australian, 34 now, his 300th game this week, and it will be his last as he pulls up stumps. Number one draft pick, of course, back in uh, into 2004, I think 2005, his first season, or I might have it yet. No, I think that's right. Um, and pretty stiff in the context of Carlton Greats. Incidentally, only the sixth Carlton player to reach 300 games, but unlike... Well, all the others, basically, uh, he hasn't really had a taste of success because he's happened to be with the Blues during their worst period in history. And he's done it tough. He's for so long been the sole person holding up that midfield before the arrival of the likes of Patrick Cripps and now Sam Walsh. Um, and he's a lovely guy, uh, a, a terrific footballer. Look, he's struggled a bit this year, but uh, easy to forget how good he was in his prime um, and hats off to him because uh, for him, you know, like the Bob Skiltons and the Robert Flowers of this world, unfortunately it hasn't been about uh, team honours. It's been more about individual success, but through no fault of his own. So I'm sad to see him go. Uh, Finally, he's a likeable character, Mark Murphy. Absolutely. Good to see that they're going to give him a game from the start, not as a medical sub. So he gets to play his 300th game, which, of course, he absolutely deserves the right to. Did he pull his pull the wrong rein all the way back at the beginning, Roman? Uh, you mean by not going to Brisbane, where he yeah. Yeah. could have under the, uh, for people unaware, of course, his father, John, a Fitzroy champion. Uh, well, I think his father, John, was actually instrumental in him not moving on from Carlton, certainly, and staying at one club because he's often said to Mark and publicly that he regretted leaving the Roys and finishing off his career at South Melbourne and then North Melbourne. Um, but, look, Mark wanted to stay in Melbourne for school, uh, so he decided not to go to Brisbane. So pretty hard to uh, point the finger at those sort of motives. They're good motives, but, uh, yeah, look, it's it's cost him a bit. Although, remember, though, Finey, that Brisbane, too, was sort of past their prime by then. Yeah, they've, yes, they've had yeah, their yeah. share of struggles as well. Just uh, wrong time, wrong place, really, unfortunately for him. Yeah, and maybe had a great football career. I wonder whether he pulled the right rein in his sporting choices because was a brilliant cricketer, probably still is. And <laughs> have a look at the Australian team at the moment. No problems if you're a brilliant cricketer getting a game there, I'll tell you. Hey, the, to experts, say, I mean, people, cricketers who saw him, say he definitely would have played for Victoria, maybe for Australia. So a hugely talented sports person. 
well, 34, he'd be in the prime of his cricketing career. They play until they're about 48 these days, uh, the cricketers. And why not with the, the money on offer? Uh, Murphy's isn't the only retirement, of course. Uh, there's a parade of them this time of the year. And uh, hats off to Stephen Hill, Fremantle star at his best, a damaging wingman and pivotal in that famous qualifying final win down at Geelong in 2013. Tom Rockcliffe. A real uh, Trojan for Brisbane for so many years and then in recent times at Port Adelaide. And uh, Essendon defender Paddy Ambrose, just an injury play career for him, but uh, he was a pretty important part of that bomber defence in recent times when he was able to get on the park. So uh, kudos to them all, well-played gents, and uh, good luck in your future endeavours as well. All right, that is it for the news segment. Fair bit to get through, but... Nine games to get through now as we preview them in full. On Footyology, wrap around. Okay, round 22, the penultimate home and away round. As I said off the top, as we record this, we actually don't have confirmed game times, venues, anything. But we do have a likely schedule. Pretty certain this is how it will pan out. So apologies in advance if some of this information isn't right. Uh, we're hopeful it will be. We don't have the Palmer bet odds, unfortunately, the head-to-heads for these games. So make sure you check back on the Palmer bet app or at www.palmerbet.com. Closer to game time for all the range of betting possibilities on all these games. The round kicks off, well, hopefully kicks off on Friday evening with a massive game, a de facto final. It is GWS playing Richmond, both with realistic finals aspirations. Uh, the loser is uh, just about gone as far as finals goes. The winner lives to fight on. What a stats insider tell us about this game. Well, the winner will be absolutely in the top eight at the conclusion of the round and be in control of their own destiny as we head into the final round of games. The Giants gave up at least 80 points in eight of their first 12 games this season. Yet that's happened just twice in their last eight, thanks to a squad which now ranks fourth for clearances, sixth for tackles, and eighth for total intercept possessions. Uh, terrific performance from them down at the Cattery last week. Finally, a procession of injured players had to make eight changes for that game. They had 18 on their injury list. Are they going to get me back? And the Tigers, they've been rocked by injury all season as well. Are they going to get anyone back for this huge clash? Cue the bugle, Rowan. That's the uh, instrument that's played when the cavalry returns. Listen to this lineup coming back for the Giants. Recently signed, re-signed Josh Kelly, Hopper, Hogan, Davis, Mumford, Kennedy and Lloyd are all back in the team. They miss Toby Green, fugues out. Daniels got injured. They'll also be without Callum Brown, the young Irishman, made his debut. He hurt a hamstring in kicking two goals. And the likes of Buntine, Sproul, Stein, Shipley, Riccardi, all likely to make way, Roman. That's not a bad lineup for the Inns. As for the Tigers also playing for their lives, 
less to come back, but more importantly, more importantly, no injuries in their important win over North Melbourne, which means Castagna, who was demoted to the medical sub, might have to stay there. Rowan, this game is uh, now, as been pointed out, a final pre-finals really for these two teams. Unlikely that they'll both make it. Likely that one of them or Essendon will. So it's all on the line. And those are a huge amount of ins for the Giants. And in a way, does that not unsettle that team that was so magnificent in victory down at Geelong last week? I feel it does. But also... You could bring back all those players and still have a huge hole that can't be filled if you can't play Toby Green. The forward line relies so much on his not only scoreboard ability in terms of kicking goals, but also the panic that he sets in defenders. Talls sometimes need to fly against him. Smalls need to be at the drop of the ball against him. For that reason, we know that Richmond have not found their best selves this season, but they did in the second half against North. A stable lineup for them. Tom Link's under the spotlight a bit this week, of course, being, I think, rightly pointed out for poor form by Jonathan Brown, defended by Hardwick. Hardwick, expect a bounce back there and a Richmond win for mine by 11 points. Yeah, well, as you know, I've been uh, on the Tigers' uh, wagon all year. I haven't been prepared to let them go, and I'm certainly not prepared to after that second half last week because there's been a few false starts in their alleged comeback, but I reckon last week was the genuine article. They kicked just two goals to halftime, 11 in the second half, but just as significantly, they rediscovered that frenetic pressure on the opposition with ball in hand. Uh, North Melbourne were allowed just seven uncontested marks in that third quarter last week. The Tigers pounced on that many turnovers and slammed on seven goals. That's their brand, and they got it back last week. I think there's some huge pluses in what's going on with Richmond right now. Trent Cotchard has found his form again. He's been great the last couple of weeks. Dion Prestia is huge in that side. And Toby Nankervis just has a massive influence. And I think he can really exploit Shane Mumford's lack of mobility. He's terrific around the ground, Nankervis. Hugely important for them. Look, the Giants, they've been very erratic week to week. You'd think last week would be the spur they need. But I tend to agree with you about the number of changes. It looks good on paper. But history will say it can have a bit of an unsettling effect. And Toby Green, obviously a massive out for them. I'm going for the Tigers as well by a hair's breadth. I'm going for them by six points. Well, it should be a classic Friday night game, but uh, five important games on Saturday. Let's have a chat about them. The anticipated first game on Saturday down at Launceston between Hawthorne and the Western Bulldogs. Uh, 1.45, we suspect the scheduled Start time for them. Uh, read the betting, check your Palmer Bet app or the website for those head to head and other odds uh, closer to game time. Stats Insider say the concern for the Bulldogs 
after their loss last week isn't so much being dislodged from top spot, but the manner in which they've dropped a couple of games in recent times. The Bombers roughed up the Dogs by a combined 33 tackles and clearances, which is the most the Dogs have suffered in more than three years. They now rank just eighth for contested possession differential, while they've now even been dislodged from their number one inside 50 differential mark, which is an area they've been blitzing the league in all year. As for the Hawks, well, they're on a bit of a, a decent streak at the moment. Good win for them last week against the Pies. They will be looking to win three in a row for the first time in two years. One massive change to the Doggies we already know about finding, unfortunately, Josh Bruce has done the full catastrophe with the knee and he will be an absentee. How are they going to fix that one up? Well, uh, they welcome back Alex Keith, which is good news. Keith for Bruce. Sounds like uh, the ins and outs at the local Lawn Bowls Club, doesn't it? Keith in, Bruce out. Uh, Cody Waitman was managed. He'll be back in the team. I think Shacky actually misses out with Keith returning. I don't see him going into the forward line. And they may opt for a second ruckman, which means Jai Sweet plays with Stefan Martin. Not quite yet ready. I think they should go with the second ruckman because they're up against an informed Segler and McAvoy. As for the Hawks, Warple hurt his foot last week. And I think they can replace him, not necessarily like for like, but... Granger Barras was managed last week. He's a really promising type and he'll come back into the side, I think. Gee, they've been good the last couple of weeks, Hawthorne, and not to be taken lightly. Nevertheless, Doggies have got much bigger fish to fry and we know that they've got that power midfield. Look, they should have no problems in dealing with Hawthorne as long as their head is screwed on and their loss last week to Essen and surely sharpens their focus Aaron Norton now will have to work in conjunction with Jamari Hagen, And to be honest, that is not as threatening as the more experienced combination with Josh Bruce. But that is what has been served up to the doggies with the unfortunate injury of Bruce. That's a watch. As for the rest of the team, bolstered by the return of Waitman and Bruce. Hawthorne, always hard to just dismiss in Tasmania. But the dogs will do that. By 27 points. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Launceston certainly throws another dimension into it. The Hawks haven't been as good down there in recent times. Uh, got a back last appearance. So uh, Hawthorne, until the last couple of years, had a real stranglehold over the Bulldogs. In fact, prior to 2019, they'd won 10 of the previous 11 clashes. Uh, and the only exception to that was the semi-final in 2016, which the Doggies won en route to the flag. They're also, again, two teams that don't necessarily play each other a lot. This will be just their sixth clash in the last six seasons. So uh, no return bouts there for quite a number of years. In fact, you have to go back to, yeah, 2016, the last time they played twice in the season. That was only because they played a final as well. Uh, yeah, look, think bit of think music for the doggies this week. They've had to restructure things, but I think one thing Luke Beveridge has been very good at is uh, organising his troops. So there's plenty of versatility and flexibility. I think the goal kicking thing is less of an issue for them than 
other rivals because their midfielders, uh, of which there are so many, tend to hit the scoreboard pretty hard. And I'm talking about the likes there of Bontempelli, Dunkley, etc. So they're able to conjure scores from a variety of sources. So Bruce, while it hurts them, may not be a fatal blow to their flag chances. Do need to keep winning to uh, maintain that top four presence. So, look, it won't be easy. Hawks have uh, certainly lifted their game over the last month. They've been pretty impressive indeed. But I think the Dogs get the job done here. After a bit of a scrap, I'm going for them to win by 18 points. Uh, Now, we think at this stage on Saturday, there will be two Twilight games. Let's talk about them. Port Adelaide to take on Carlton in Adelaide. Uh, We reckon 4.35pm Saturday afternoon. We're not just making it up. This is a likely guide. And uh, look, quite possibly by the time you hear this podcast, all these times and venues will have been confirmed. Uh, That's what you'll have to do with the odds at Palmerbet to check their app or the website palmerbet.com closer to match time. Stats Insider tell us that one team fighting to improve their ladder position and possibly snatch a home final and double chance, the other in something resembling disarray. We know how efficiently Port takes care of lesser teams. They've now won 19 in a row against bottom eight sides. But something that might not be known about the power is that they are the only team in the league, along with the Bulldogs, who rank top eight for both tackle and clearance differential. Carlton, meanwhile, ranks 16th and 17th in those respective statistical categories. Port have won their last five games against the Blues and Carlton hasn't knocked them off in South Australia in eight years. And in fact, that was a very memorable win back in 2013, enabling Carlton to be, uh, let's say, shunted into the finals at the expense of the suspended Essendon. Maybe that's why I remember it. Uh, Mark Murphy's 300th, big occasion for the Blues. Will it lift them? Uh, and what's happening at selection with either of those teams, Finey? Port Adelaide might bring Todd Marshall back in. If so, Laddams will miss out. But they're, and it's a good position to be in, uh, sort of injury free in the last couple of weeks. So they can boast a pretty settled lineup. Carlton can't win because they. Don't have Harry Mackay this week. Shoulder injury is going to keep him out. And Liam Jones is injured as well. McGovern comes back. Uh, There was a VFL scratch match played. He kicked six goals. He'll be in the team returning to his home state. He's not really a reliable AFL footballer for mine. His record suggests so. Even though he can bob up and kick goals, he's not Harry Mackay. So this game, and I'm going to make pretty short work of this because that's what Port Adelaide's going to do. I don't expect Port Adelaide to bust the Blues wide open because that seems to not be Port Adelaide's style of late. Yes, they beat teams below them, but they don't tend to raise a gallop to do so. I think that's dangerous. I'd like to see them really play their best football heading into the finals, but they've got a pretty easy equation here, a team that they handle comfortably, a team that has, with last week's loss, nothing much to play for, lose their key forward. Interesting to see how Kurnow goes game three. That's Charlie. 
But that's here in the interest of Carlton fans. And to say thank you and goodbye to Mark Murphy. It is his last game. Port Adelaide to ruin the party if there was going to be one and win by 37 points. Uh, I think a comfortable win for the power too. Look, they're, they're hardly flying. I mean, they really struggled in the first half of that showdown last week. We're uh, in a spot of bother at halftime. Found enough in that second half. But they just I've said this a few times this year. There's just a bit more pedestrian look about them than they had last year. They seem to have lost a bit of their zip. Still time to recapture it, uh, but uh, not necessarily a whole heap of time. They'd want to get a wriggle on here and start building some confidence and a bit more of that attacking flair and hit the scoreboard a bit harder than they have been. That might be a more difficult task against a better team, but I'll tell you what, there's something a bit ominous when a side is in finals contention and then that chance is lost, as it now has been for the Blues, you often uh, sort of put your hands over your eyes to see what happens subsequent to that because there's not a lot to play for here other than, as we said, Mark Murphy's milestone. You'd hope that'd be enough because he's been a wonderful servant of the club. And look, the Blues have had a, a habit in recent times of getting out in the road and having some inspiring performances, but I just sense uh, the horse has bolted on that front. May have bolted for coach David Teague too. So a club down in the dumps, um, and uh, doing a lot of soul-searching. I'm not sure their focus is going to be entirely where it should be in this one. Important that Port wins to maintain the double chance. I think they'll win comfortably. I've got them winning by 32 points. At the same time, let's head down the Melbourne Road or the Princess Highway to the Cattery. Geelong taking on St Kilda at GMHBA Stadium. The Cats, of course, a shock loss last week in their own backyard to GWS. They don't drop too many down there at all. St Kilda keep those flickering finals hopes alive with a terrific win at Marvel Stadium over Sydney. Uh, the odds on Palmerbet, you can check them on the app or at the website closer to game time. Stats Insider tell us that St Kilda hasn't beaten Geelong at Cadenia Park since round 10, 1999. That is, uh, what, more than 22 years ago. They must break that drought if they're to keep their slim finals hopes alive. This will be St Kilda's 12th game this season against a top eight team, which is the biggest number in the league. They certainly had a tough draw, and as the season's uh, turned out, it's been even tougher than it was initially scheduled to be. Uh, any hope for the Saints in terms of players returning? And what about the Cats on that score, Finey? Yeah, it's a little bit up in the air at the moment because key players from both sides are going to have to pass fitness tests. But I can tell you that the forgotten footballer will be making his return this week for St Kilda. Dan Hannabury will play in the seniors. And uh, Clark... Hunter Clark, an important in as well. So St Kilda have a couple of decent players to come into the side. If Clark comes in, then Caulfield may miss. The other one that... Now, here's where we wait really until not even selection on Thursday, but probably until Saturday to know for sure. Paddy Ryder could be an important in. And is Max King going to be available? He came off with an adductor strain towards the end of the win over Sydney. Now, likewise, Geelong 
have players that uh, touch and go. Definitely coming back into the side, Jeremy Cameron, Lockie Henderson, Isaac Smith, begins. Grind Myers, probably another week away. Now, fitness test required for Gary Rowan, and now it's listed as a hip injury. Not sure if that's correct, but that's what it's listed as. And, of course, the bruised throat suffered by Dangerfield. They have to prove their fitness later on in the week. Zach Tui's a definite out. So plenty of balls in the air there, but the ball is firmly in the Cats' court, and I don't think that St Kilda have much of a chance of upsetting the apple cart. Look, they haven't played there every year, of course, but recent journeys down there have been absolute shellackings. Now, I'm not saying that's going to be the case because St Hilda does have something to play for and though inconsistent, I'll take them on their better form and that was against Sydney and still see them coming up short mainly because of a Cats back line, a forward line with Jeremy Cameron that's going to be a bridge too far. Callum Wilkie was great against Franklin. Don't know whether he can double up against the likes of Hawkins and Cameron. By the way, Dougal Howard, who's done a hamstring, they say he's a sneaky chance to play. That's another ball up in the air. I think that might be desperation stakes. Put Asava Radigalia down there, who marked pretty well in that game against GWS. Too big, too strong down forward for the Cats. That'll be where the game's won for them and lost for the Saints to the tune of 27 points. I'm going for the Cats as well. Uh, how can you not go for the Cats at the Cattery, even when they've lost their last game there? Cameron, obviously, a massive inclusion. But I think uh, Isaac Smith could be just as big an inclusion because the one thing uh, I really noticed with them last week was just that lack of run, you know, where they're, they're younger, pacier players, the likes of Narco Parfit have really struggled of late. And Smith has been a really valuable pickup in that regard. That's what they'd be looking to recapture, a bit of that outside game. We know their defence is strong. We know they do the, the defensive basics really well. We know their midfield's strong, but uh, really lack some zip at the moment. And uh, Smith is a man who can give back to them. And uh, a couple of targets up forward now with Cameron returning. So can't tip against them in this one. I think they'll get the job done. I'm going for the Cats by 22 points. Two games to be played on Saturday evening. Saturday evening, we think at the Gabba, uh, we know Brisbane playing Collingwood at least. Uh, Palmer bet odds, check on the app, closer to game time or at the website, www.palmerbet.com. Always remember to gamble responsibly. Stats Insider tell us with this one, that the Lions have the league's fourth best inside 50 differential, whereas Collingwood have the league's second worst. Incredibly, Collingwood have beaten the Lions at the Gabba in six of their last seven encounters there. Wow. With that said, the Gabba is one of two active AFL venues, along with the SCG, that Collingwood have an all-time less than 50% winning record at. Uh, the pie's pretty disappointing. Again, last week, finally, the Lions still with faint hopes of grabbing a double chance. Of course, they'd need to make every post a winner and Port would have to lose both their games. But still a possibility. Uh, what's going on here with these two in terms of ins and outs? 
are really important in for Brisbane after 12 weeks on the sidelines, Darcy Gardner comes back. And that is an important in shoring up some backline height for them. Lockie Neal missed last week with illness. He's back in. If Neal's in, what does that mean? Reese Matheson is out. Jackson Pryor also likely to miss out. Collingwood uh, will tick off on Josh Dacos this week. He'll be back. And Bianco was given a bit of a rest. He's had a good season. He'll come back into the team. Uh, most likely, a couple of players could miss out. Bo McCreary, one likely to miss out. And they'll stick with Ginevan. I wonder whether that puts like a, pressures, a pressure on the likes of a Thomas, who, you know, does he get enough of the ball? He certainly plays every week. We'll wait for selection. Brisbane, well... They were good against Fremantle, really good. And about time that we saw Brisbane show the sort of form that makes us think that they could be a presence in the final because ever since Hipwood's been out of the team, of course, we haven't thought that. Look, Collingwood will give them stiff opposition. They've been, whilst uh, not consistent in terms of the W column under Robert Harvey, there's been some good football played Certainly the high point was a win over the West Coast Eagles. So they can mix it with teams in the eight. And I think give Brisbane the sort of workout that they'd like. I don't want to be too contemptuous of Collingwood's chances, but I don't think they can win. And I think, in a way, they're a good opponent for Brisbane who need to be match-hardened heading into the finals. Why do I think Collingwood will provide that? Because they've got a good band of youngsters that seem to be playing the type of football that Robert Harvey would like, that is having a red-hot crack. As for Brisbane, that forward line looked better, especially with Cockatoo in it. That was a good inclusion. And maybe their strength won't be in the air, but on the ground. Either way, midfield too strong. Lockie Neal comes in. Zorko was great last week. That's, uh, by the way, only complimentary to their best midfielder this year, Jared Lyons. He's a superstar. <laughs> and he is. He's right up there in the Brownlow betting. I know you love him, Rowan. That'll be too much midfield power. Too many dangers up forward. Brisbane by 21. Yeah, I sort of feel about the Lions the way I feel about the Tigers. I sort of think last week was a really important turning point. The Lions have been stuck in this fairly, uh, I'm saying it every five seconds, it sounds like, but pedestrian mode and, and have lost a lot of their flair. You know, they create so much off half-back with the penetrating kicking of Daniel Rich, etc. They seem to have lost that. Um, they were pretty impotent on the scoreboard. Uh, Dana has gained from that perspective very encouraging last week, but they just looked a, a more threatening lineup with more uh, more prongs, I think, and more zip through that midfield. Neil, huge, massive in for them. And uh, that is an amazing record of Collingwood. Won six out of their last seven against the Lions at the Gabba. I was thinking back to their first clash this year too, that round three game at Marvel Stadium where Collingwood led until after the siren and Zach Bailey kicked the winning goal for the Lions. Jeez, that seems like centuries ago now for some reason. Collingwood certainly not playing as good a football uh, now as it was then. And the Lions, well, they'd started a season badly. That was sort of the start of their upswing. So can that happen a second time? I think there might be a bit of deja vu in that regard. I think Brisbane will uh, 
keep that momentum going. And I think they'll have a pretty decent win by 28 points, uh, which leaves another Saturday night game in Melbourne. 7.45, sorry, 7.40 start time, we think, for this one. Marvel Stadium, North Melbourne taking on Sydney head-to-head. Check your Palmerbet app or the website closer to game time. Stats Insider say that North enjoyed a half-time lead in just one of their first 11 games, yet have done so in four of their last nine. As for Sydney, last week's surprise defeat against St Kilda was their fourth loss this season to a team outside the top eight. And that one might very likely have ruined their top four chances. These two sides have played each other at Docklands eight times, with the Roos winning just once. And that was their first ever encounter between the two there, all the way back in round six, 2007. Well, the Swans disappointing last week, finally. You wonder if life permanently on the road for them is starting to take a toll. And the Roos, very impressive against the Tigers for a half, but completely overpowered once Richmond found its mojo. Any ins or outs happening here of note? Well, late withdrawal Callum Mills against the Saints. He's back in and he's, pardon me, in tremendous form. So that's a big in for the Swans. And one of their young Tyros that got injured earlier on in the season is back to full fitness and they welcome Braden Campbell back. So he'll be giving them some run and from last week's example, needed run off the half-back line. That'll be a good in for them. Looking forward to watching his return in his first AFL season. I think he's a ripper out of the side. Wicks may make way and Stevens expect him to possibly be omitted. As for North Melbourne, well, certainly contrasting halves for them. And they looked so good. Could have been much further ahead, maybe beyond the reach of Richmond at halftime into the side for them. They would uh, make a couple of changes, I think. Phillips likely to come into the side. And they've got a youngster by the name of Eddie Ford who could be promoted up into the team as well. As for the outs, well, they've got a couple of youngsters probably that could do with a bit of a a break. And uh, I think they played a young kid, Spicer, last week. Uh, Phoenix Spicer. Um, maybe, maybe, and I'm not saying he will, um, make his debut this week as well. So keep an eye out for Phoenix Spicer. As I say, they played him last week in a scratch match and he looked pretty promising. Phoenix Spicer. Well, must be 2021. We have another example of a team with way too much to play for in terms of preparing for the finals. They probably blew their top four opportunities last week, Sydney. But it's, again, a case of bigger fish to fry. And Richmond found the the wherewithal against North last week in the second half. I don't think Sydney will take that long to get into gear. Look, they're a very good team. We have enjoyed them this season. One watch, though, from mine is Buddy Franklin. His form in the last month has tapered off a bit and while we were all just marvelling at his agelessness in the first half of the year, maybe this extended period away from home is having an effect on a man well and truly the wrong side of 30. Sam Reid's been a good inclusion. I expect him to take a bit of the load and 
maybe make things a bit easier for Buddy in the upcoming weeks. As for the rest of the team, we give them a week off. It was that against St Kilda. They have to click back into gear. North will keep them honest because they've been doing that for the best part of 10 weeks now, but not honest enough to cost them the four points. Sydney by 19. It's funny you mentioned the Swans having more to play for. I mean, there's certainly the element of finals preparation, but in uh, real terms, I'm not sure there is that much to play for. Look, top four's beyond them now. They're two games and 7% behind Port Adelaide, so you wouldn't expect that to change. Uh, Port would have to stumble very badly there. But they're also uh, three games clear of seventh place, which means that they're basically already pretty much locked into host and elimination final in week one. That said, uh, they would certainly want to pick it up from last week. I hope that the fatigue factor and the travel factor isn't staying to get to them because they have been one of the great stories of this season, the Swans, and uh, I, want to, I want to see them do well in September. I can see North making it really difficult for them here and these two teams have tended to turn in pretty close games too. In fact, their last four games have been decided by an aggregate of just 24 points. So I think the Swans will get over the line. I don't think it'll be that easy, though. I'm going for Sydney to win this one by just eight points. That's Saturday wrapped up. Let's talk about Sunday. Melbourne taking on Adelaide at the MCG. Again, we think, apologies for this lack of uh, certainty, 2.10, we think, is the start time there. Check your Palmerbet app or the website for the head-to-head odds. Stats Insider say not only have Melbourne returned to the top of the ladder, they have also regained their number one defensive credit rating, having now conceded one point less than Geelong this season. The Demons also ranked first for contested possession differential, while they are also dwarfing the league in both hit-out and intercept intercept possession differential. Speaking of intercepts, the Crows lead the league for total turnovers per game and sit 15th for total disposal efficiency. That said, they weren't too bad for the bulk of the showdown last week, just going down by a kick against their bitter crosstown rival. Melbourne, meanwhile, really good win in Perth. In difficult circumstances, had a handy lead there before an unscheduled pause for Lightning, which was certainly a bit different and uh, froze up a bit when they came back and West Coast gave them a bit of a fright. But the Demons hold on and with that went from fourth spot to top of the ladder. They want to stay there. And they shouldn't, you'd think, have too many issues with a side in the Crows' position. Well, it's been a pretty unsettled week for the Adelaide Football Club, finally, for obvious reasons. Uh, On-field, in terms of uh, selection, they got anything they can uh, look forward to in what will be a very tough task for them indeed? No, not at all, Rowan, because their plucky showing against Port Adelaide was even more so, given that, Either side of three-quarter time, they lost players to concussion. Brody Smith and Will Hamill, who can't be considered because of concussion protocol this week. Uh, Lockie Scholl, who started the season well, is on the periphery. He could come in. And Ben Davis, who replaced Brody Smith as medical sub, might be promoted to the starting 22. As for 
their opponents are demons. Uh, Tom McDonald was a late withdrawal against the West Coast Eagles. He's likely to play. Just some shuffling of the deck shares there, uh, which means probably Jordan, who was promoted into the side, may return to the medical subs position. That would leave Hibbard out of the team. He pressed for a spot. But I've got to say, young Jack Bowie has been quite impressive. The little redhead was at the drop of the ball, importantly, in that latter stages of the game against West Coast. He did give away a free kick, but I think he holds his spot. He's a lively little player who uses the ball well. That settled lineup for Melbourne has been one of the real strings to their bow this year, something you can't control, but it has played into their hands. The only major out for the year has been Tomlinson, and he's been seamlessly replaced by Harrison Petty, who's had a fantastic season. So for stability's uh, sake, Melbourne probably deserves their spot on top of the ladder. And, of course, for form. That back line of theirs, uh, if Lever doesn't get you may will in the spoiling stakes and intercept stakes, has been the launching pad to their success. And now, with Ben Brown, a genuine target up forward, and... The ruck combination working particularly well for them. Of course, Max Gorn uh, leads from the front. They seem to have most bases covered. Pickett could get more of the ball, but he remains a danger always when it hits the ground in the forward line. Fritch is that medium-sized forward. Doesn't fire every week, but again, dangerous. And we know the midfield, led by Petrarca and Oliver, are first class. Uh, Humming along beautifully. We'll have no problems against a plucky Adelaide from last week, but generally in the second half of the season, non-winners. Melbourne, comfortably by 31. Yeah, I think Melbourne get the job done very easily here. Like I said, uh, very distracted and disrupted week for the Crows. Melbourne, of course, coming back from Perth and playing a Monday night game. That's not easy. But uh, they're back in town, the Demons. I think they, uh, last couple of weeks anyway, got back to that sort of ex- more exciting brand of footy they were applying early in the year. Of course, their uh, last meeting with Adelaide was that uh, first defeat of the season over in Adelaide by just one point. This one, though, is on the MCG where they play their best footy. And boy, have they got some good players. Jeez, Clayton Oliver is a fantastic player. So is Christian Petrarca. They were just brilliant in the wet on Monday night against the Eagles. Max Gorn, outstanding leader. You pay tribute to the defence. They've been terrific all year. And now Ben Brown starting to look the goods up forward. Uh, I always thought he might come good and really be a good pickup for the Demons. You're starting to see why now. So they are back in the... Premiership ball game, make no mistake, and they will get the job done here very comfortably. I think I'm going for the Demons by 40 points. Now, a second game on the Sunday card, we think in Queensland. Let's have a chat about it. Gold Coast scheduled to take on Essendon at Metricon Stadium, 3.20 Sunday afternoon. Check your Palmerbet app or the website closer to game time for the head-to-head odds and all those other betting possibilities. Stats Insider tell us that the Bombers have just a 3-6 interstate record this season, which is the fourth worst in the league, while they've won just one of their last 12 games 
in Queensland. Ouch. Prior to last week's match, the Bulldogs have won the clearance count in 16 of their 19 matches and were the second team in the league in that stat, which makes the Bombers smashing them by 16 in contestable last week even more noteworthy. And that was also complemented by Essendon winning the tackle count by 17. They hit harder and were much hungrier, and it's why the Bombers' season is still very much alive. And uh, those midfield Mastros, Merritt and Parrish, right at the centre of it for them. A couple of injuries last week. Wangford and Heppel were major outs for the Bombers. Finey, any hint of a return for either of them? And what are the Suns doing on the selection front? Well, the Suns will do as little as possible after that good win against Carlton, but they do have to replace Brandon Ellis, who re-injured his hamstring, and Jack Bowes came on for him a sub and played pretty well, so an obvious replacement there. Likewise, the Bombers won't be wanting to make too many changes after their best win of the season over the Doggies. Tyson Heppel to return to the lineup, who misses out. Uh, probably Gleeson if they're going to go positionally. Wow, what a great win. And how about the timing for two-metre Peter? He's uh, ready and primed after a career-best outstanding seven-goal goal haul against the Doggies to show the Gold Coast exactly what they're missing out on. They never quite got it right with Peter Wright, did they? They rucked him a bit. They played him as second or third forward, but they never gave him the prominence that Essendon have given him and that he has absolutely latched onto. And as you pointed out in your summation of that performance against the Doggies, yeah, the marking was confident, but the kicking was superb. And in a season where we've been absolutely dogged by terrible goal kicking across the board, it was a standout performance of sharpshooting, which means... He doesn't need a lot of chances to be worth his tucker. And that is the sort of forward line you like kicking the ball into. So Parrish and Merritt, who've had great seasons and looked good again last week, will have a target. The back line, though, I think is where Essendon win the game because they have so many good intercept players underrated in his performance last week. I think almost as good as Peter Wright, Ridley, all Australian form written all over that performance. Does he go back to back in that position? You know what? They pick those teams sometimes with tenure. I'd like to think he does because he's a ripper. Redmond saved by the tribunal after the MRO officer gave him a week. He's an important player. Hind gives you the run off the back line. Now it's all there for the Bombers to play for. Again, incentive and also form leads me to put the red and the black on top and this time by 22, oh no, odd number, 23 points. Well, no doubt uh, that victory over the Bulldogs last week was Essendon's best performance of the season. Uh, Heppel coming back would be a big in. Another uh, interesting one, Archie Perkins was the medical sub last week at Unused. That might have been the spell he required because he had been struggling a bit in the past couple of games. Uh, look, it's all about uh, motivation, isn't it? And what greater motivation could the Dons have than a spot in the finals? It's in their own hands, essentially. Beat Gold Coast and beat Collingwood in the final game. And they get in. What happens from that point? Well, that could be a whole another matter entirely. But it would be a pretty decent effort from a side most people roundly tipped to finish bottom four this year. 
Uh, good effort from Gold Coast last week too against the Blues. And look, they've had some shockers this year, but you'd have to say overall it's been a more positive showing this season under Stuart G. Looking forward to that midfield battle between Took Miller and Parrish and Merritt. That should be a cracker. Three players in great form all season and will joust for all Australian spots between them, no doubt. But uh, despite the fact it's a Metricon, despite the fact Stats Insider told us those shocking stats on the Bombers, just one win in the last 12 games in Queensland, this is one I think they can win. Don't think they'll do it comfortably, but I think by enough. I'm going for Essendon by 10 points over Gold Coast. One game left in the penultimate round of the season. Final game of round 22 is the much-anticipated WA Derby between West Coast and Fremantle. Uh, this time, neither team going into it in the best of shape. The Dockers taken apart at home by Brisbane last week, effectively ending their finals chances. And West Coast, another defeat at home as well on Monday night. This one against Melbourne. Uh, check Palmerbet on the mobile app or at the website www.palmerbet.com for details on the betting closer to game time. Perhaps the most meaningful derby, says Stats Insider, in what will be the 53rd time these two have shared the field. If the Dockers win this and salute against the Saints in round 23, they could still make those finals. As for the Eagles, if they lose this and drop their last game against the Lions at the Gabba, which is no easy task, they would most certainly not be playing finals for the first time since 2014. So another de facto final this game. West Coast has won 11 in a row now against Frio, which is their best streak against any side in their 35-season history. Ins and outs, Finey, what's happening? Yeah, well, good news for the West Coast Eagles. They will bring Ryan, Liam Ryan, back into the side. They'll bring Shuey back into the side, probably. Calf injuries are, are risky. But I think he's back in. Ryan, by the way, is over his hamstring. Barras can come into the side as well. Now, Shannon Hearn misses out. Another one with a soft tissue injury. There's a watch on Josh Kennedy. Uh, he's touch and go. I'll tell you that much. Uh, expect Vardy to miss out as well. I don't think they need another Ruckman. I don't know why they play him, actually. Then. They, to me, look much better just when they run Oscar Allen in the ruck. They've got to get over this Matt Nuivardi, Allen, Darling, and Kennedy, and then down back, Barras and McGovern. Their biggest problem, West Coast, they are the worst team in the competition when the ball hits the ground in their back line. They get done by small forwards. Unfortunately for Fremantle, there's no Michael Walters to take advantage of that. Mitch Crowden's form is iffy. It all comes down to Travis Collier. And I don't think he's going to kick you a winning score against the Eagles. Fairdingham, <clears throat> the Eagles have been terrible this season in terms of expectation and delivery. And there's not many teams I'd be tipping them against, but Frio is one. A, because Frio, now without Brayshaw, who's out with suspension, has no Brayshaw, no Fife, no Walters, as previously mentioned, uh, they also 
<laughs> listen to this, can't consider Wilson. He's got a hamstring injury. Might bring Ethan Hughes in. Now, they're down on players. They don't beat West Coast at the best of times. And it's a timely weakened Fremantle for West Coast to sharpen their talons against. I think it'll be a victory without much purpose. Might get them in the eight, but they ain't going to have much of a say in September, even if it is played on their own dung heap. West Coast this time in the Derby, though, by 33 points. Yeah, well, I think the expectations around this game have uh, shifted markedly in the space of a couple of weeks, haven't they? Uh, I think Freo sensed this was their time only a couple of weeks ago, but uh, the injuries continue. Um, they were pretty ordinary against Brisbane indeed. And as you say, West Coast have been ordinary too. But boy, they are significant changes on the table for the Eagles, aren't they? Shuey, Barras, Ryan, they are three massive ins. Barras, you know, one of the real generals of the defence. Ryan, the spark, the live wire up forward. And Shuey, well, he just drives that midfield every time he's on the ground. So that will give them the edge, I think. A uh, fair amount of pride on the line, obviously. Uh, longest winning streak against any opponent in their 35-season history. And uh, that 11-game streak, very confident that will be extended to 12. Uh, will it be enough to get the Eagles in? I think they will limp into the eight. But like you, finding, I think they'll be limping straight out again. However, bragging rights in their hometown, at least, for another... Well, eight or nine months or whenever until they meet again and Freo tries the hapless task of knocking over the Eagles again. I'm going for West Coast by 24 points. That is our preview of round 22, just one home and away round remaining after this. Best part of the show coming up, Fonny. Let's go back in time. Footy flashbacks. Right, I'm sticking with this device of picking a great game in the past between two teams who are playing this weekend. There are a few to choose from this week, but immediately saw these two sides up against each other. And how could you go past this? I'm sorry to do it to you, Finey, but I'm thinking Geelong St Kilda, and I'm thinking one of the epic grand finals, not just of the modern era but all time. Of course, 2009, it was wet, it was cold, it was blustery. The two standout teams of the year that played an epic game at Marvel Stadium or then whatever it was, Telstra Stadium or Eddie had, who knows what it was called then. But it was a classic game in which the Saints prevailed. Conditions pretty different for this one, though, and uh, you sense the Cats had a bit of a chance. Well, it was a dour struggle. Goals hard to come by, but they traded blow and counter blow. Level pegging just about all the way through. We've got a little highlights package here, a couple of moments late in the third quarter, and then the decisive moments of what would be a very memorable last term. Let's go to the 2009 grand final. Milburn holding Dempster at bay. So often finds a way. He's got some atoning to do after the events of late in the second quarter. Here's Graham for the Saints. Taylor and Revolt. Revolt! It was the champion Saint bringing Eric Banner out of his seat. Goalless until now. Surely that will change. 
It wasn't a great kick, but the lead has changed again. It's the Saints back in front. He's got Montagna in support. Montagna kicks to the hot spot. Harley does the spoiling move, gets knocked over. Handball comes to Revolt. Revolt, oh, what a smother. Great smother. Fantastic smother by Harry Taylor. Ling sitting it up. Rook against Fisher. Rook read it better. Chapman there as well. He's a killer around goal. Can he kill them here? Yes, he can. He's a beauty. Lakin King and Montagna at the front. Will put some colour in front and puts them a goal in front. Blake against Gardner. Give that one to Blake. Falls to the feet of Chapman. Good, clean skills. It's a good-looking kick. It's oh, a... he's got it. The legendary Bobby Davis watches on this to make it a one-point ball game. Hawkins gets the six points. And kicks it beautifully to Mooney. Who got both hands on it but spilt the beans. Good use of the body by Dawson. Now Mooney has another crack. Taps it to Chapman. Chapman over to Rook. Max Rook on the left boot. Max Rook has kicked a goal. Touched on the line. Oh, it is touched on the line. Stevie Baker touched it. Pressed the post. Who goes into the corridor. Oh, almost into Ablett's the corridor. Out. Oh, yeah, out. he is. Johnson, can he pop it over the top? Ablett somehow has found some space. Oh. At the last minute, Zach Dawson spills it. But a clever soccer by Scarlett to Ablett from 18 metres. He draws it long to the tip of the goal square. Big flyers wanted. Varco, handball's over. It's a snap by Chapman. And Chapman's kicked the goal. Terrific play here by Scarlett, just to volley it off the boot to him. Long and down the line, Milburn loads up. Revolt almost smothered it. Long ball, Taylor! Magnificent mark! That is a ripping mark! That's the Leo Barry, Bob Murray moment. <laughs> He's been told to go as Taylor handballs to Ottens. And he gives to Selwood. What a grand young player he is. And Ling gives Geelong the territory they want. Rook and Fisher burns. It hangs for Mooney. Poking it in the Rook direction. And he can go back. And he can have a shot. And surely any score will do it now. Wonderful kick by Mooney. It's over. The Cats' vindication has arrived. They have won their second in three years. But what a fight it was. Did I run over your family pet, Rowan? Or, or maybe in a, <laughs> a previous life I cut your lunch? Oh, sorry. You know, I've never, you know, I've never seen a minute of that game on TV. Really? Well, I went to the game and I will never, ever watch the second of it again. I'm not putting myself through that again. Look, the year after St Kilda drew with Collingwood, but this was, and, and that was, I'm not saying it was for a fortuitous draw. I mean, they lost the replay comfortably. But this was the one St Kilda blew. They had many chances in that game and were wasteful in front of goal. It was a great win by Geelong. They were a brilliant team at that stage. And it's St Kilda beating them. It would have been a, a real feather in their cap. So I'm not saying the wrong team won, but St Kilda certainly had their chances that afternoon. Yeah, they certainly did. And uh, look, very tight, but I think they were the best performed side of the year. But um, the Cats, they, they were stinging from that uh, shock 2008 loss to Hawthorne. I reckon 
that in the end probably proved decisive. Um, just a, a side note too, there won't ever be a weirder finish to a grand final than that one. It sort of gets lost in the wash a bit, but we all think of this as being, as, as being a grand final decided by a kick. Actual fact, the margin was 12 points in the end, courtesy yeah. of Max Rook kicking a goal after the siren with no St Kilda player standing yep. on the mark or in the goal square where the ball slithered through. What a bizarre way to finish a grand final. Oh, well, Were you still in the ground the at that stage? Yeah, yeah. I was, you know, I'd, I'd bought a ticket to the St Kilda dinner afterwards, which was $1,000. So I was in the process of tearing it up. Okay, that's a nice little waste of money for you. I've been to a couple of losing grand final dinners. They aren't much fun, fair to say. All right, we'll. Uh, make I didn't it up. learn my. Le- I didn't learn my lesson, Rowan. You went the next year as well. Yes, yeah, so I lost two thousand the next year. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, we'll try and cheer you up with uh, your choice of footy flashback this week. What have you got? By the way, that's not true. I did. I did spend a thousand the year after, but the ticket from the draw was. Um, good for the week after if you wanted to use it. Uh, Well, Geelong don't get it all their own way on this footy flashback. Melbourne, fair to say that uh, Cadinia Park has not been a happy hunting ground for the Demons. They did have a really good win there. When was it? Back in, I reckon, about 2015. Yeah, it was 2015. That sort of day that we discovered Max Gorn, I reckon, as a real future likely leader of that team but of course they suffered in 2011 the ignominy of that enormous defeat there 186 points and in fact between 1990 and the present day other than that 2015 win there's only been one other win Rowan and it was a nail biter and it could have gone the other way and here are the closing last couple of minutes. Boundary throw in half forward for Geelong. Melbourne by three points. What a stirring victory this would be for the Demons. White out of the centre. It's all Geelong. Tenace bangs along to the goal square. Kingsley can't take it. A chance for Ron Maloney getting back to help. Kick on the outside of the boot. Davey needs to be clean here with his hands. Handball was cut down by Bartell. Davey dancing on the spot. Kicks towards Godfrey Cartmark. Chance for Ling. Going hard at it, Reed. He takes it over. And... Oh, 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 that's a terrible decision. That's a terrible decision. He was running at full tilt. Ling with the free kick. Drives it inside 50. Bizzle tracks back with it. This is where courage and skill is required. Johnson. The men in blue came for him. He was wrapped up. Very lucky Steve Johnson had time to release the handballs and was tackled. This this is the deliberate. You can't can't pay that. He was running full tilt. Picked it up at less than a metre inside the line. Siren could go any second. Over the top. Travis Johnston needs to handle it cleanly. He can't. They go to ground. Burns. Applets in the full forward. Which way? Wrong way. Wrong way for Geelong and for Ablett. 30 minutes gone. That could be it. Two points the difference. Hearts in mouth stuff. Melbourne lead. They were 34 points down. 17 minutes into the second quarter. 
and now the ball's back in play. Long towards half-back, big pack of players, Milburn off hands, concedes ground Bartel, now a chance to look, he kicks to attacking 50, Egan, Egan's marked an attacking 50. He needs to be careful, the Soren could go at any point, he's going to go back, he wants to kick a goal, Matthew Egan, oh, there it my is, goodness. He, there it is, it's all over, Matthew Egan with a chance to win the game for the Cats, could he be the hero? The youngster, unbelievable performance. He'll need to kick it from 52 metres. Draft pick number 62 back a couple of years ago from 55. He loads up. It's going. It's going. It's offline. Melbourne have won. Melbourne have won. A dramatic game of football. What a comeback. What a game at Skilled Stadium. Unbelievable scenes here, Stephen Silvani. Oh, what a fantastic win by the Demons. Yeah, exciting stuff. Uh, gee, uh, Matthew Egan, just thinking, what a what a sad story he was. Uh, wins all Australian selection at a really young age, and then uh, basically doesn't play again after that. So um, they had some great players coming through the ranks in Geelong, didn't they? And uh, we didn't know at that stage what had just how good they would become. Uh, and in fact, they'd bow out in that semi-final against the Swans that year, and then have a disastrous year the year after, and then. Everything suddenly clicked for them. The Demons, well, they had some pretty decent sides around them. Finalists in 2004 and five and 2006. So pretty capable terms. The other interesting thing with this game, of course, you can't hear it, but you can see it if you want to see that clip on YouTube. It was one of those heritage rounds and we had both the Geelong and Melbourne teams clad in vintage uniforms. And the best part of all, the umpires, wearing white and in knickerbockers, Fonny. They had the, big, the long <laughs> knickerbockers on. So there's this thrilling finish going on and the commentators all screaming and whatever. And then you see the umpire boiling it up, looking like he's doing some retro thing in a commercial about the 1920s. It's, yeah, very funny. I don't, know how the, I don't know how the players kept a straight face throughout the game. It was very yeah. funny stuff. Um, yeah. No, it's well worth a look-see for that alone. Matthew Egan, I, I'm, I'm only going to know you know this, but, of course, when you think about it, it's a fact. Of course, a senior coach at Essendon for a short period. Correct. After uh, James Hurd, of course, departed late in the season in 2015. Lovely guy to Matty Egan and a really good football brain. All right. That's it for this week. Um, thanks for your company and uh, apologies again for the lack of certainty. But uh, those are the times that we live in. Uh, this podcast always proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. There'll be more certainty about the odds next week too, hopefully, when we uh, can actually preview them with all the game times and venues locked in. But uh, proud sponsors of this podcast, Palmerbet, play the punting advantage this footy season. What about our other wonderful sponsors, Fanny? We've got them. No worries about that. And we love our listeners. We call them footyologists. And a well-fed footyologist eats at Andrew's Hamburgers. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. And if you want the most beautifully appointed house in your street, West Point Properties, Nick Spartels, get in touch with him. And Stats Insider, the sports and data-driven industry leaders providing model projections and analysis 
for more than 15 sports across the world. Also home to some fine independent journalism. Check it out. Everything free to use at statsinsider.com.au. Give them a follow on Twitter while you're at it, at Stats Insider. Grateful for the support of our sponsors. Grateful we are for your support too. And you can continue to make a real contribution by heading to the supporter page wherever you're listening to this podcast and uh, chip in a buck or two. Or you can become an official Footyology patron via Patreon and the links for Patreon are on the Footyology website. Some terrific reading on there this week. Check out Angela Pippos's marvellous piece about the Tex Walker saga. We'll be back on Friday night with our live stream on Twitter and Facebook, Footyology Final Siren, following that massive GWS Richmond game. So make sure you join us for that. And we will wrap up this round as per normal on Sunday evening after that last game. So stay tuned for that one. Uh, Good luck to your teams this weekend, everyone. Good luck with your finals prospects and good luck with everything else you've got going on in your busy and always interesting lives. We'll catch up with you soon. 